We're going to start with the first of the Gospels that was written, the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to move at the speed of the class. This works best if you talk, if you have questions, if you have insights, that we do this as a community. I can do this as a lecture. I've done it many times. But I've heard myself. I'm not that impressed. I'd rather we did this as a group, if at all possible. Let me talk to you about the book of Mark. It is thought to be the earliest by most scholars. There, there are very complicated reasons why they believe that. It is, however, um, it's got an interesting history. It is episodic. In, in other words, it is discrete episodes. It does not attempt to be a biography of the life of Jesus. The closest we get to a book trying to be a biography is Luke. John's book is a theology of Jesus. Matthew is a validity of Jesus being king over Israel. Mark is a series of stories, but they're not Mark's stories. The guy whose name is on it, it you would know in scripture, is John Mark. John Mark was born and raised mainly, he was born entirely, but raised mainly in North Africa. There was a large settlement of Jews there and had been for a couple of hundred years. That's where the Septuagint was translated, that version of the Bible we talked so much about uh, this last summer. John Mark came from a very wealthy family, very well known in North Africa. He is considered the father of the African church because he took it back to North Africa. They traveled back and forth and had houses in both places. So in scripture, from time to time, you will find the people meeting in John Mark's mother's house. She had a large house. She was in charge of that house. And that's where people met. Now, why did he write the gospel? There was another story about John Mark. We don't know much of the story. What we do know is that there was a time that Paul and Barnabas took John Mark with them to do some missionary work. And John Mark left. We don't know why. Sometimes people will say, and he got tired or turned back or afraid. or what. All that's assumption, and I don't see a need to make a negative assumption about somebody. He could have been sick. He could have been whatever. What we do know is that Paul got mad about it to the point where later when Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, Paul wouldn't go with him. You need to know that Paul could be difficult. If you don't know that, read Paul. He could be difficult. Later in life, history tells us, and all history is under dispute, so it's not like there aren't other ideas. But most scholars so far are saying that John Mark did get back with Paul. Do you remember he did ask for John Mark to come later in life? He had a change of heart about something. We also know that John Mark traveled with another apostle named Peter. As he traveled with Peter, he was his interpreter and scribe. There are a lot of stories we could tell about that. Here's the point. The book of Mark is probably more accurately called 
the remembrances of Peter, where Peter tells Jesus' story. He was writing down what Peter had said in his sermons about the life of Jesus. So does that help you get where we are? So there's, none of these are biographies in a strict sense. Plus, when a Jew tells a biography, back in this time, we're all different now, they did not believe in being linear. They would move stories around to make a point. That was not considered to be dishonest by any stretch of the imagination. It was to show the, the purpose and the pathway of a life. So once you know that, it helps quite a bit. Let's just start having a look at this. I have a large print Bible and still have to use readers. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We'll stop right there, make sure we know our terms. The word gospel means what? Good news. Please make sure that whatever church you go to, the sermons and the songs sound like good news. When I was a boy, they, in Bible class, we knew the answers. They'd say, what does the word gospel mean? Good news. But we didn't think it sounded really good from our pulpit because our preacher was basically saying none of us are going to make it either. About Jesus Christ. Christ is not the last name of Jesus. It's a title. What is that title? Any other, any other phrase? Messiah. And, and Messiah, what does that mean? Anointed one. Now today, through prayer, we anointed these pastoral care ministers. Anointed means they're set apart. They're special. They're given a purpose. He's the anointed one of God, and he is the son of God. And here, we leap right into the story. Nothing about the birth. We're going to come upon Jesus 30 years later. You see, it's not a biography. It's written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So John came. I like that. God said it was going to happen, so he came. And I like that formula of God said it was going to happen, so it happened. God wanted it, it happened. So John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, baptism was not something the early church made up. It was a vital part of Jewish worship. They had mikvah, and if you had more than one, it's mikvahot. Uh, in Hebrew, everything is male or female, and one, if you make one of them plural, it's ut, and the other one, it's im. They don't put an S on it. And the mikvah would have been outside a place of worship, the temple especially, but there were other areas that they would have them, normally carved down into the ground with steps going in and other steps coming out. And ritually, you would walk in. They had separate ones for men and women. Uh, you would walk in. You would go all the way underwater. You'd raise up, and you'd walk out the other side. And you would do this often, uh, it was not unknown to do this seven times before you went into worship. Most people didn't do that often, but it's according to where, how, how you felt, what your situation was. And it was as a way of cleansing yourselves. Well, John, his baptism was saying, you'd better do this 
because you're people of sin and something's coming. You want to be ready for what is coming. Any, any questions about this or any observations you want to make? It's going to be a long Sunday. <clears throat> the whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him. All right, I want to stop just a second. Do you believe that every single human being in Judah and Jerusalem went out to him? So, no. So you understand the use of hyperbole and synecdoche. Do you want synecdoche? Is? All right, well, you take a part to represent the whole. You can also take the whole to represent a part. Um, synecdoche, for example, Jesus was three days and three nights in the grave. Technically, he wasn't. But that's synecdoche. Then you have hyperbole, where Paul, for example, says the gospel's gone out to the whole world. It hadn't made it to Guatemala. But Paul didn't even know there was a Guatemala. He wasn't trying to be legalese accurate. He's trying to tell a story. Right? Please do not read the Bible as if it were a legal document. As if we read legal documents. I've actually talked to God in prayer saying, I hope it's not a sin to tell Adobe I have read the warnings and agreements. <clears throat> because I don't have time to read them all before I have to update it the next time. I'm, I'm assuming it's okay with him. Um, good news is we can get forgiveness. Uh, the whole, they, a lot of people came, is what he's trying to say. John was quite popular. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, confessing their sins, we don't know exactly what form that took, but the Jews did not have a tradition of standing up and saying specific sins. You know, I was angry at my wife and said some harsh words. Or what they, when the Bible talks about confessing sins, it usually does not mean instances. It means um, categories. I've been greedy. I've been angry. I have, I have been unkind. You see the difference? In the New Testament later, James, in his phraseology of it, would be confess your faults one to another. That's easier for us to understand, right? It's not a... Not a specific sin, it's a fault. This is my besetting sin. You know, everybody has besetting sins. Mine are different than yours, probably, but they're all the same uh, when it comes to, they, they trip us up. John wore clothing wore, uh, made of camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist. He ate locust and wild honey. All right, so he's a wild guy. He had been a smelly guy. Long hair, um, Nazarene. He would not have uh, had very nice stuff. How different is this than the prosperity gospel? Do you know what I mean by prosperity gospel? Oh my goodness! Get it on the TV and the radio, but don't, please. You don't. It's not required, so you don't have to listen. But it's basically God wants you to prosper. He wants your bank account to be rich. And part of that is sending your money to me, and God will send it back to you even more. Really? 
That's what Jesus came for? So I could have better drapes? I don't think so. John is rough. Here's his message. After me, remember this whole thing is about something's coming. Will come one who's more power, one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Right. Not an expression we use a lot. Back in those days, the people were barefoot or sandals. It was believed that to digest your food, you needed to be lying down or semi-reclined. So when you'd come to table, you're laying down and your feet are off this way, and that could be very unpleasant for everybody else. So the lowest servant, their job was to wash the feet. And you started there. You didn't start in the mail room. You started at the feet, please. And you had to work your way up to other stuff. He's saying, I'm not even worthy to be his lowest servant. So he's a humble man, but also you've got to wonder, who's coming? I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Um, Albert's teaching another class, or I would ask him to go off on this, and I could sit down and not have to talk anymore. Because what did they know about the Holy Spirit at this stage? Not much. The Old Testament refers to him some. But the Holy Spirit's going to come into his own with the work of Jesus. So now they know God is coming that same... All right, here's what they knew. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. But our first look at it, it's in chaos. You ever notice that? There are some who believe... I'm not one of them. But there are some who believe that this is Earth 2.0. That God created the universe. There was a horrible rebellion. Things went wrong. He cleaned it off and did it again. And that, to them, explains all of the millions of years and, and all this other stuff that, that, you know, that they have trouble reconciling. Um, there are some reasons to believe that. I'm just not there. I'll put it that way to you. Instead, I do believe that when he created everything, it needed to be put into order. And above the chaos, who do we see? The Holy Spirit. And the next thing you hear is let there be light. Everything is going to be okay because the Holy Spirit has come. The people in John's time were in chaos. I'm assuming you know most of this, so I'm not going to do much detail. The religious world was split badly among the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, um, the um, Essenes, and the common people who didn't know who to listen to. And were especially confused because the Essenes opted out. They went into the desert, but the Sadducees and Pharisees openly fought each other and took turns being in charge of the temple. See, it would be rather like this church is a church of Christ every other month. In the off months, it's an assembly of God. Or in the off months, it's a Catholic church. How difficult would that be for you if this is the only church? This is where you have to come. That confusion. Um, that's a bad example, but it's best I could pull off here. The, um, the people were also in chaos because the Romans were there. 
And the Roman-Jewish tension was always constant. Let's be fair, though, the Romans did give the Jews more leeway than most people. But the Jews still weren't happy with this, as, as we would not be. And throw that into the mix, the zealots. Yeah. They're walking around with hidden knives and swords. The Romans would call them sicari, the knife, the knifers, the knife wielders. It was against Roman law to carry a concealed weapon. The zealots did anyway. Some of Jesus' apostles were zealots. In fact, after one had been with, they'd been with him for three years. When Jesus says, you're going to need a sword, one guy produces two. And Jesus says, that, that's enough. I, I, I would still love to see Jesus' face when he said it, to see whether he was being sarcastic or humorous or what. Please remember, all right, this is kind of important. Have you ever quit an email discussion because email was not a good way to discuss this? People were getting the wrong idea, not getting humor, not getting what the emphasis... Have you ever done that? We are reading one half of an email discussion. That's why sometimes, whenever people say, well, just read it, it's plain, believe it. Uh, hang on. Let's take the phrase, I love you. I love you. That means one thing. I love you. That means something else. I love you. That means something else. Let's go back. I love you. That means something else. I love you. That means something else. Or I love you. You see what I mean? We don't get this emphasis. That's one of the reasons why God says no scriptures of private interpretation. You got to do this in the group. You got to work this out in the group. All right? That said, Holy Spirit's on his way. Something is coming. There's one greater than, than any of us. I cannot even untie his, his sandals. And behind him is the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. God is making an announcement that he's going to have to make again later. Listen to Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Well, you'd like to know more about that, wouldn't you? Well, we'll get a little bit more from Matthew. But Mark's moving on. You can actually hear Peter's voice. Because Peter wasn't patient enough to stay with the story too long. Peter also was an emotional individual. So Jesus, in the book of Mark, will have words attached to him that are not attached to him in other Gospels. Jesus gets angry, frustrated, upset, all the kind of stuff Peter does. The other apostle, uh, other apostle writers, rather, don't, don't do that. But Peter does. I like to hear his voice. Let's talk about um, the temptation. Well, no, we're not going to. We're going to go at the speed of Scripture. We'll get to the temptation when we get to it. How's that? 
Let's go to the disciples. After John was put in prison, have you noticed how much we're leaving out here? Now, I've not seen it yet, but we DVR the new Sherlock um, with um, Cumberbatch in it. And we've really enjoyed it, but the last couple have gotten a little screwy. They're messing with time, and they're messing with reality. And as a quantum physics guy, I enjoy that, but that's not Sherlock. I have not watched the last one, but I read British papers, and they went nuts, angry at it, saying it was completely incomprehensible. It skipped over so much. It introduced wrong characters. It took, and, and oh, they just went ballistic. You know, BBC's in trouble now. We're tired of this. Peter must have written it. Because Peter starts the story and then quits. After John's put in prison, why? Where? How'd that happen? Oh, read the other guys. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Can we just stop there and have a look at that? After John's in prison, Jesus is still proclaiming the good news of God. We need to get to a point in our lives, and it's a hard point, where when bad things are happening, we still proclaim the good things of God, trusting that God is still going to be God. I must confess I have been very disappointed in Christians on Facebook and Twitter. Um, All through the election cycle, but even yesterday, they would not leave each other alone. The constant negativity, the constant rah-rah my side, and both sides doing it, it's disappointing. It is. It's supposed to be social media, not antisocial. We should be the people of good news. If we're walking around, as many Christians believe they should, depressed and upset, Oh, the abortionist. Oh, the crime. Oh, the politics. Oh, the... You're acting as if Jesus hasn't come. You're acting as if we don't win. We win. Spoiler alert. We win. So even if one of us is put in prison, the rest of us proclaim the good news. We don't call for a riot. We call for faith. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. You know, I kind of didn't need that. That's the only reason I can think of that you'd throw a net into a lake. But he puts it there. Come, follow me, Jesus said. I'll make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Now, Speaking of Sherlock Holmes, who was modeled off of a Scottish doctor. I don't know if you know that or not. Sir Arthur Conan Conan Doyle went to medical school, and and the guy that taught surgery was Dr. Joseph Bell in Edinburgh. And he was able to to do all the Sherlock Holmes stuff. That's where he he learned that and modeled it. But in a couple of the stories in Sherlock Holmes, it is not what is there, it's what is not there the dog that did not bark, things like that. 
Jesus walks up to these fishermen and says, come with me, and they go. What does that tell you? Now, you're a little afraid that you'll get it wrong. You're in church, so you can always just yell out, Jesus, the odds are that's a good... Yeah. They'd met before. He'd formed relationships with them before. He's not going up to a pure stranger saying, all right, guys, leave. He had formed relationships with them. And this is where God spanks me a bit. I'm, I'm a person who's very comfortable alone. In fact, I prefer it. And I'm open about that. I'm not qualified to be a minister. I've told you that as well. Some of you have told me that as well. Uh, that's the interpersonal, deep walking with people can be very exhausting for me. Jesus liked being alone. He's alone a lot in Scripture. And yet he took the time to build a relationship with these people to the point where he could say, the time is now, let's go. They would have been prepared for this. We must also form relationships with others and help them be prepared for the calling of God. Now, here's one of our problems. One of our problems is I'm as dry as I can be. Um, When I talk to people and say, bring your friends to church, you know one of the things they say, especially here, all my friends are already going to church. Okay, you need to make new friends. If you're in a Christian bubble, it's kind of hard to reach out and find somebody else. One of the things I admire about Lauren King is she teaches our teens how to get outside their bubble to maintain their Christianity while being around a non-Christian and leading them in. And that's a tricky thing. It is, I gotcha. It's far more comfortable just to hang around church people, especially in the Nashville area, six flags over Jesus. <laughs> but we need to lead people to Jesus. Now, far too much of our history has been, all right, they're, they're church people, but they're wrong church people. We've got to get them to the right church. I'm not, I don't want to play that game. I don't think God has called us to this planet to rearrange sheep. I think he's called us to go find the others. So form relationships. Um, is Phil Williams in this class? I, I, I didn't ask permission. There you are, Phil. Okay. Phil is somebody I admire. And I've not told you this, and I didn't ask permission, so I hope this is all right. You don't know it, but Phil's busy every day around non-Christians. He'll find them. He goes to AA meetings. He'll sit with them in these, in these rooms, just forming relationships with them. That's what I'm talking about. Get outside the bubble. Jesus did. Got him ready. Let's, um, when I was a boy, by the way, you couldn't do that out of fear of contamination. Do you know how far it went in our church? You sometimes might wonder, well, you know, we all came from conservative. We weren't allowed to go see things like Sleeping Beauty or Goldilocks 
because they had fairy godmothers. Well, Catholics have godmothers and godfathers. And Disney cartoons were an attempt to make the kids start thinking Catholic. I'm not making that up. (laughs) Doesn't it make you wonder why I haven't climbed a tower with a rifle yet? Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Had to say yet. Um, Still time. When he had gone, I'm hoping by the time I snap, I won't have the energy to actually carry it off. (laughs) It's kind of like, all right, I've had it. I'm just going to sit here for a while. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. They left their father Zebedee in a boat with the hired men and followed him. Just a little corrective. When I was growing up, they said they left their businesses. They deserted it. No, they kept their business. Later, when Jesus is resurrected, they're back out on their boats. It's not, you don't have to quit business to follow Jesus. They did leave it in the hands of the relatives while they followed him. They went to Capernaum. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. Um, Synagogue. What does the word synagogue mean? Sorry? Assembly or congregation. Exactly. Um, The way it was done, this was formed in the intertestamental period. When the temple was gone or the temple was occupied or the like, people still wanted to worship God. So they would go to a gathering and eventually they they built places, purpose built for it. Um, There were certain things you did. There were certain songs that you sang uh, using the songbook, Psalms. And then you would pass around the scroll for readers. And everybody had a turn to read, not every day. There was a certain day that you walked in, it was your turn to read. That's the way they kept going. And I want you to notice something about this. Have you ever read the Old Testament, especially Deuteronomy and Leviticus? There is no authorization for the synagogue. And yet, not only did God not mind it, he attended it. Those people that take the Nadab and Abihu story and say, oh, they just mixed up the fire and God killed them, we'd best not clap. People, a text without a context is a pretext. Nadab and Abihu were drunkards and rebels, and God had just had enough. That's not the same as what people try to do to us, saying, oh, you got a guitar, you're going to hell. No, I don't think so, because God's got harps in heaven, he's going to need backup. Um, (laughs) Nobody wants to listen to harps all the time. Um, I hope you understand what I'm saying. The synagogue was accepted because that's what they had to offer. That's what they could do. God will take what you can do. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Now, here's where some of you may think I'm going to go racist. I'm, I'm not. Cultures have traditional ways of communication. The Jewish people to this day, in a very Jewish enclave, like the Bronx, whenever they communicate, they almost never say something solid without a, but then, on the other hand, I went to school with a lot of Jews because a lot of Jewish people 
get involved with neuroscience and with psychiatry and such. And so I went to school with them. And I can tell you now that if they went out to, during a break to bring in sodas, they had an iron brew, if you're Scottish, you know what that is, uh, or a Coke or whatever, a Tizer, uh, they'd bring in one. And if they gave you one, you, it was expected everybody would say, oh, how much do I owe you? If they said nothing, then it was nothing. But if they said, oh, what's 35 pence? That meant you owe me 35 pence. They would never say, you owe me 35 pence. That's not a part of their culture. So evidently, even a Jewish teaching, and I've been to Jewish synagogues, I've been to temple. Um, when I teach, there's always that kind of room put in there. Evidently, Jesus wasn't putting any room in there. He was saying, this is the way it is. And that amazed them. They hadn't heard that before. Then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out. And let's stop again. Where was this demon? At church. Don't be surprised. <laughs> when you come to church, some people arrive already possessed by a demon. Um, it always amazes me. People say, you know, I went to church, but there are problems there. And that surprised you? Why? Um, people, we bring our problems with us. We take them places with us. Very often, we're the problem. And you know, I, I, I've, if you've been to six churches and they were all bad, what's the common denominator? <laughs> I had a friend of mine named David ran a gun shop. You know, I would go to the firing range a lot. Um, I know it's an odd hobby for a minister, but, um, you know, competitive pistol shooting for 20-some years I did, and, and it, it does keep the, the shepherd meetings shorter. You know, I, I'll sit there, clean a weapon. Uh, anyway, uh, no, I don't, I because don't, they own them as well. Um, but he, he, one day I was there, and he said, uh, are you going to congratulate me? And I said, what for? And he says, I'm going to get married sa Saturday. And I went, David, this is going to be number four. And he said, what? And I said, David, at this point, wouldn't it be cheaper and easier to every 10 years just find somebody that doesn't like you and buy him a house? <laughs> I wasn't afraid that he might shoot me. I was all right with this. We were, and I, talk, I said, what's the common denominator here? And we began to talk, and he, was, he promised he wouldn't be. I don't know if it lasted or not. I moved away about a year later. Um, people... We bring our evil with us. This now, evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, we need to stop for a second. How do we read Scripture? You know, we used to read Scripture a lot in churches, didn't we? I've had people say, We ought to read Scripture more. Yeah, but only if you read it better. We tend to, and then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us? Now, that's not how he cried out. So cry out. And if you're uncomfortable doing that, that's all right. Reading is not everybody's gift. Let's find somebody who can really bring it. 
uh, because he's terrified. The demon is terrified in the presence of Jesus. Doesn't that make you feel better? So, if you want to scare the devil, what do you need to do? Get near Jesus. Get as close to Jesus as possible. Doesn't mean you're not going to get hurt. But your odds are better. I like the next one. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Okay, let's talk about translation. Those of you that were in my class on how we got the Bible know a little bit about this. The translators were human. They were church people. And they churchified some of the language. We used several examples of that in the class. I won't go over those again. But this is another one. The word there really means shut up. But we didn't want to have Jesus say shut up. Because that would complicate vacation Bible school. (laughs) So they say be quiet, said Jesus sternly. He said shut up. He said, shut up and get out. Be quiet and come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently. (coughs) And it came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? Wouldn't you be? The man that wrote, William Peter Blatty, that wrote The Exorcist died last week. The priest that he wrote about died some years ago. Uh, from a fall during an exorcism. Um, Reading, I've read several Catholic manuals on exorcism and stories of them and such, and uh, there's one that's made the news this weekend, said he, after doing, I think it's 6,000 exorcisms, he says, the devil is now afraid of him. Oh, really? I don't think so. That's kind of like saying, after disarming 6,000 IEDs, IEDs are afraid of me. Nah, it might be the next one. You'd best be very careful about these sort of things. The devil is not afraid of us. He's under the authority of Christ. We've got to get to Jesus. Let Jesus handle it. Uh, Anybody ever watch people on television act like they're throwing out demons easy? Ernest Angsley? Remember him? Yeah, yeah, whoop, hit him on the head and they were slain in the spirit. No, he knocked them down. I've had people say, oh, look, they're falling down on Jesus. No, he hit them. I saw it. Uh, he got them off balance. It's easy done. Jesus didn't do any props. He didn't go, ooh, right, I'm going to need somebody to read the Lord's Prayer backwards. I'm going to need crucifixes. I'm going to need somebody to boil water. This is going to be a real ordeal. When Jesus shows up, he can just say, shut up, get out. That's who you want. That's who you want backing you up. You want Jesus. I, I get strange emails um, from well-meaning people. And somebody I don't know wrote me an email saying, I think my husband's possessed, and I, I, I think it's up to me to kick out the demon, and I want you to tell me how. And I wrote back, and I went, no, I'm not going to. I said, I think you need counseling to figure out what's going on in your marriage. And if it is a demon, I don't think you need to be messing with it. I think you need counseling to know how to handle what's going on in your marriage. I haven't heard back. I sometimes get really, you don't love Jesus or you 
do what I want you to do emails. Uh, I'm okay with those two. Uh, there's a delete button. I don't know if you've seen that. It's very handy. Um, people, if you ever do come across a demon or think that you've come across a demon, we don't talk to it. We don't engage it. We pray. Let Jesus handle that. Do you remember even Michael would not go up against Satan, but instead said, the Lord rebuke you. That's enough. Hearing the coughing, I feel for him. Cammy's been coughing a week, and I coughed about three days before I stopped, and voice is still not back. I had so much of a cold, I've got an accent. Um, but this amazed them, because they did do exorcisms, but they did long, complicated ones. They, they'd really brought most of that script and such from Babylonia, from the captivity. He goes, a new teaching, and with authority, even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Check, got just a couple minutes. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went home with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, so they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took up her hand, helped her up, the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. We'll end with this passage because I just want you to think about the staggering import of this. Question people always have. Does Jesus really love me? I know he loves the world, but does he love me? You just got an answer. Jesus finds out that a mother-in-law is sick and he heals a mother-in-law. Willie Nelly didn't even ask Peter. You really want you know, opportunity? Um, he didn't. If without hesitation, Jesus will just go heal a mother-in-law, all right. Now, my mother-in-law listens online. She's a good Christian woman. She understands what I'm saying. And I, I, we enjoy her visits. The flying monkeys get annoying. But we enjoy her. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She's a great Christian lady. But I like that, that whole thing about Jesus didn't even wait to be asked. Somebody's sick. I'll take care of them. Sometimes we'll read these stories and we get a little upset because we know people that died with their illness. I understand that. But can we, can we dial that back a little bit? This won't take away all your pain. I understand that. I've had, uh, the first year I was here, by the way, this is my third anniversary, this Sunday. The first year I was here, I lost two dear friends both younger than me, both elders in churches I served, to cancer. Broke my heart. I had some things to say to God, and I did. May as well, because he, he's God. He knows what you're thinking. But the fact is, most of the time, we do get well. Most of the time, I, I, I was praying at 2 o'clock this morning, let me have the voice, because I want to be a part of today. I want to be a part of this ordination of these people. I love this church. Let me be involved. That's all I'm asking. And I'm here. Isn't that true? Most of the time, we pray our kids have a safe journey, and they do. We pray for this to happen, and it does. The vast majority of our prayers are answered. We just remember the ones that aren't. Is that fair? Is that a fair comment? Jesus loves you. 
and he proves it. But we'll have to talk more about that next time because it's 11.45. Any questions or comments you want to do before you go out? This is what we're going to do, is look at what's there, what's not there. Then we're going to go from here, we're going to go to Luke. Then we're going to go to Matthew. I might switch that around. The last will be John. Yes, Randy. Yeah, that's a phrase he used. The question is, when Jesus was baptized, it was said to be to fulfill all righteousness. Was that it, or was there something more to it? I think there was a lot more to it, because I think the phrase to fulfill all righteousness is one we've never really adequately unpacked. And when we get especially to John, we're going to unpack that one. Anything else? Yes. Okay. Question is, John the Baptist had a lot of followers. We later see that when Jesus came, there were still a lot of John the Baptist followers. In fact, Paul runs across some of them when he says, what baptism were you given? And they said, John's baptism. So they, they weren't, didn't understand that there had been a change of leadership, of management. Uh, the reason in the Gospels, however, that we see two groups is Jesus never required them to leave John and follow him. They were still under the old law. They had repented. They were saved. Under the new law, you have to follow Jesus only, not John. So the, the split had not been made formal until after the resurrection. All right? Got to let you go. Thank you for being here on such a holy, wonderful day. Love one another.